Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. Looking for some amazing TV to stream? Indulge yourself with the hits on Hulu you can't miss. Dive in with Barney, Ted, Robin, and the gang on How I Met Your Mother. All nine seasons are now streaming on Hulu. Then you can move to Modern Family, Schitt's Creek, and My Wife and Kids. We're talking every episode and every season of these shows. We're talking huge hits, streaming on Hulu whenever you're in the mood. Now we're talking. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. Snood life. Yeah, man. <laughs> Feeling snood life, dude. What? Are you referencing the game people played eight years ago? Snood? No, man. Snood's a hat, dude. Oh. And a lifestyle choice. And an attitude, dude. Snood. Dude, when you're too good to take a bath, uh-huh. when you want to make your whole fucking body a condominium for fleas, <laughs> that's snood life, bro. Oh. Because I ate a bunch of edibles last night here in Denver, and I got real into medieval flute music. <laughs> Oh my god, I spent all day today at the hotel we're at, which is essentially, the lobby is essentially Port Authority. Mm -hmm. I spent all day writing the script and listening to fucking medieval flute music. All right, we have to start this show. (laughs) Welcome to the last podcast on the left, everyone. I am Ben, hanging out with Marcus and Henry. Where the hell did you guys hear all this flute music? Internet, bro. (laughs) Time traveling, man, with my fingers. Uh, And Henry actually sent me a link, and I know you were high because you you send me a link of medieval flute music with this tagline, I love this album. <laughs> <laughs> I did love that album. It was quel curated. It's music from the 1300s. That allowed, it was, I think it said the tapestries of Edward II, mm-hmm. I believe. Oh, wow. And it, it was honestly very emotional. Yeah. And it sets the tone for how the, what was in the background of people screaming and dying yeah. in the streets of medieval Italy, with just people going, <laughs> it's so cryptic and horrifying that the music seems kind of happy. Oh, yeah, very jaunty. Wow. All right, let's get into it. We are on to the Black Death Part 2. Now, most people in medieval Europe believed that the Black Death was some sort of divine retribution from God, because in their eyes, God was wiping the earth clean of sinners, just as he'd done with the flood of Noah or the biblical plagues of yore. But he didn't finish the job. (laughs) Oh my, don't remind him. (laughs) Really, considering everything that happened before the Black Death that made the plague that much deadlier, you really can't blame the people of Europe for thinking that the universe was righteously angry with each and every one of them. We talked about this last episode, and we've said, and we'll, we're, this is going to come up time and time again that this was the worst century to be alive. Yeah. Right. And we're really going to nail down why. Yeah. In this, it wasn't episode. the flute music, was it? <laughs> 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 Absolutely not, man. Hashtag snood life is real, man. 
<laughs> no, the Black Plague was not the only reason why life was awful, although you could be excused for thinking so. We're going to go into all the reasons why the Black Plague was merely the cherry on top oh. of this century of human misery. All right. Crappy Sunday. Yeah. See, as we said at the end of the last episode, medieval Europe had just seen an unprecedented period of growth near the end of the first millennium. And this period of growth had lasted midway through the 13th century, producing both bountiful harvests and relative technological marvels that had enabled the European population to triple. But it really was technology that just allowed them to work harder and longer. Mm -hmm. And this nice time I work period, smarter, not harder. Ah, sort of. They still were working really hard. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like they were working hard. I walked through uh, on YouTube. I did a couple of searches for like medieval life reenactments and it still fucking sucked even when it was nice. Yeah, you understand some of their pain because you had to sit there and YouTube it. I, That's not easy to do. The fingers I had do to the walking. handcraft each letter by finger on the keyboard. <laughs> That's not easy. Give yourself a little bit of credit. Uh, honestly, I did watch an hour long special on how to make a castle by hand and they did it voluntarily in 2018 and it fucking sucks. I don't know why anybody would do this. It's hard. You got to make your own cement. I'm not doing all that. Um, but this, the little optimum is yeah. what it was called. It only lasted for like two and a half years mm. when things were nice. The little optimum? That is so sad. Technically, it's the name of a hipster restaurant here in Denver. Yeah. <laughs> but it is a, it, it was just this little patch of time where everyone's like, for a second, they're like, Maybe things are going to be yeah. all right. Maybe maybe, maybe this time AA is going to stick and dad's not going to continue drinking. Oh, but two and a half years later after his dad dies, oh, if he didn't get back to that bottle. <laughs> but unfortunately, the population boom that came from the little optimum was unsustainable. The land was becoming overworked, much like it had during America's Dust Bowl disaster of the 1930s, where the land was given no time to rest and and therefore, turn to pneumonic dust. Jesus Jeez. fucking Christ, the gerbils. <laughs> this still is all gerbils. Is, fault. Are you still blaming the gerbils <laughs> yes. for this? Pneumonic dust? <laughs> The comparison John Kelly made with medieval Europe was that their food population balance was akin to a man standing up to his neck in water. The man may or may not drown, but even the slightest rise in the next tide would result in his death. And for the people of medieval Europe, the rising tide was the Little Ice Age. Now, the Little Ice Age, again, it's not a prequel to a Pixar movie. This is the <laughs> thing that happened when things got real cold and it didn't stop raining for about Three years? Five years? Uh, try 550 years. Ah, not good. <laughs> Why did they say little? 550 years? I think that's going to be at least a medium size. It's an appetizer of an ice age. Jeez. Lasting from the year 1300 until about 1850, the Little Ice Age was another climactic shift that resulted in earlier, longer, and colder weather for centuries to come. And the already exhausted European land failed to produce even enough food for pre-Little Optimum population levels. And you know for a fact, there was one of those guys, like our good friend Adam Wirtz, who grew up in Wisconsin mm -hmm. who wears flip-flops in the winter. <laughs> oh, you know for a fact, there was one guy who's like, that's that bad out here. It's, it's not cold. <laughs> it's it's tank top weather cold. out here. Yeah. What are you, cold man? I sometimes wear an extra snood. <laughs> It's just honestly, it's kind of like a hip thing for me. It's a layered look. And honestly, in my fleas, honestly, yeah. really also really enjoy it because it gives them extra protection from the sun. It's a special kind of cockiness, those that can handle the cold. It I is. don't like those freaking <laughs> bastards. 
Well, the 1315 rye crop failed, and the 1316 crop was even worse, yielding 85% less than an already bad year. As a result, people all over Europe began to starve to death Mm. and died in such great numbers that cottages, rivers, and fields were filled with the bodies of the dead. Now, the writer of the Time Traveler's Guide to Medieval England claims that people stopped short of cannibalism. But John Kelly... What author- does that mean? They just sniffed the body? You only do half your eating with your eyes. <laughs> so just take is. a look at that corpse there. Mm. <laughs> you can almost feel it on your tongue. But John Kelly, author of The Great Mortality, maintains that there is no doubt that parents killed children and children killed parents just to stay alive a little longer, if for no other reason than to remove a mouth to feed. I don't want to be blue, but you're going to want to go with baby meat. (laughs) Baby meat, apparently what we learned from old-timey cannibals from the the French, I forgot it's from the 1800s, baby meat has the consistency of fish. That it's uh, it's flaky and it's very, very soft and it melts in the mouth. So it's honestly not good for eating. But this is important now as a parent. How did you have an answer for that? (laughs) I did. wrong with you as a parent right now i want you to line up your kids during this episode i want you to line them up and i want you to to hear that section and i want you to point at them and you all decide as children who's gonna go to save the parents because it's important for the kids to know the parents have to continue to make more kids sure i mean they're the children of the next generation so the parents could also die at that point because they already did what they have to do much like a small bug you just procreate and die Mm -hmm. i guess so So maybe the kids should be alive yeah i guess so (laughs) but kids are a lot weaker than adults and therefore cannot defend themselves against our attacks yeah they're gonna die anyway (laughs) okay (laughs) yeah And that was just in the countryside. In cities like Antwerp, stevedores were charged with walking the streets with their infamous cries of, bring out your dead. Yeah. Yeah, which actually started with the Great Famine and continued into the Black Death. Cool. I just, it it was a meme? It was like, bring out your dead. Actually, it is the definition of a meme. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but the Great Famine, which happened first, was just so wet. Yeah. I think that was the thing that really struck me is that I just didn't understand how wet yeah. everything was and how just rain oh. can kill everyone. I didn't know that. Yeah. Torrential rain pour in some countries for six months straight. And it was also so cold that the sea would freeze, like rivers would freeze. Oh, my like, God. It, so it no was, fishing. Yeah, no, no fishing. It, it was insane how deep the ice on like the Thames would get. No eels. No eels. No eels, even. <laughs> no Just eels allowed. <laughs> oh, don't do that to the eel. They would die from starvation and just from rain. They would just mm-hmm. get flooded out of their own homes and then just be ushered into the next town, nude, wet, and screaming. Mm-hmm. True. Well, I, I just went camping and I was very similar. <laughs> um, true, true question, though drought or torrential downpour isn't rain naturally just going to be better though don't you still want rain more than like no rain at all for 500 years i mean yeah you would want rain more because you still have something to drink but it's still going to ruin the crops either way apparently it rained so heavy they said it looked like the uh wheat and everything had been pressed down with an iron jeez Mm -hmm. on Erfurt, germany So many people died in the Great Famine that corpses were tossed into ditches in front of the town hall. And in Louvain, France, collection carts carried bodies to the cemetery outside town two, if not three times a day. In some cities in England, living women and children were deemed expendable and were forced 
outside of the city walls so the survival of the men was ensured. Yeah, guys, good work. <laughs> yeah, we could, no, ma'am, the Al Bundy story. <laughs> yeah. Those expelled were then forced to survive on grass, weeds, acorns, and even bark in extreme cases. Actually, here in Denver, if you go to Little Optimum, that is this tasting course that they do. It's just like that. It's grass, all sorts of acorns. Nice. That's good, actually. But at the same time that the crops were failing, that wasn't the only bad thing that was happening. Mm -mm. The animals started dying as well from a disease called rinderpest. This is great. I'm I'm horror show Billy Mays. And there's more. (laughs) Yeah, rinderpest is also known as the cattle plague. This came first. Yeah. In this, the animal very loudly shits itself to death, mm-hmm. all while their noses, mouths, and eyes produce a constant stream of discharge. <laughs> oh, yeah, they said they would be kept awake at night for months listening to their cows uh, grunt and scream because the, what Rinderpest also does is give the animal this constant sensation of needing to shit and not being able to shit. Oh my so God, they would the just worst. be kept up all night by a fucking pig going, <laughs> just trying to shit. And we'll name that pig Zabrowski. <laughs> oh, my great, 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 great. Oh. <laughs> oh, thankfully, though, Rinderpest was finally eradicated in 2001. What? <laughs> Got her another another check mark for human guys. Jeez. <laughs> Additionally, there was so little food that people took more chances on sustenance that may or may not have already spoiled. That meant that more people were eating moldy wheat and rye, and moldy cereal grains sometimes bring on an hallucinogenic condition called ergotism. Dude, Ooh. this is all straight from the movie The Witch. Yeah. Yeah. See, when grains get moldy, they produce a fungus called ergot, and a derivative of ergot is LSD. In fact, some people believe that the Salem witch trials were simply a result of a whole population tripping balls on ergot all at once, fueled by a belief that the devil was a very real presence in their lives. So scary. Just imagine you're that one person, you're that one girl in Salem who's just like, I'm actually gluten-free. And then everyone with LSD eyes just starts chasing you down. God. This was a, you normally also with ergotism, you get really sick and trip balls. So I don't know if it was just ergot that did it. I think it was the constant classic hatred of uh, cool, groovy people. Yeah. (laughs) Also, that's a great name for a kid. Ergot. 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 He'll be able to move rocks. Get off them hands. (laughs) (laughs) Well, similarly, the people of medieval Europe believed the same thing about the devil, but at a much more intense level. Mm Mm-hmm. They saw the devil as a being without limits. And since belief in superstition, sorcery, and the supernatural was so strong, medieval folk believed that anything could happen at any time. Honestly, the medieval times, the, it is a fun time. I, do, I don't want to go there. I would love to see it like if I was in some sort of time traveling orb, I would like to like walk through and be able to see all of this shit oh, yeah. because it is killer like this idea of like people do, what do part believe, of it it's all the talking goats people tripping balls all the time it is the it's really intense way to live tripping they're being drugged by god they're like <laughs> like they don't know they're tripping no so no. that's a nightmare yeah <laughs> i guess so but then you can so readily believe in magic because everything kind of has that tint to it but you don't know that you're actually very sick yeah. right 
I'll add that belief to widespread ergot poisoning, which, by the way, causes the arms and legs to blacken, decay, and actually fall off. Right. <laughs> and you've got a population primed to believe that famines and the upcoming plagues were God's divine judgment. Have you ever done a bunch of drugs when you're really sick? <laughs> no. You've never uh, done that like, back in the day? I think I've actually cured a cold with some mushrooms. Mm. Always. I, I always believed yeah. you could party yourself healthy. Yeah. But there is times when I remember, like, especially in college, like having like but a no, horrible like, chest cold. Thing. No, yeah, but I still would do it where it's like you take like some kind of cold medication and you take hallucinogens <laughs> on top of the cold medication. You're all sick and weird and feverish and gross, but you're still at the bar. You're like drunk <laughs> and you're on mushrooms. Yeah. It's like that. Well, it's nice that you found something that if you ever do meet Lil Wayne, you can bond over that. Oh, I'll high five him. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to meet him. But even if a person didn't die in the throes of a horrific trip, death by starvation was no picnic either. By the time a starving soul met their end, their skin was brittle and brown, and both their facial and pubic hair began to grow abundantly just before their death. Why? This Why? Was, this happened to me because I'm so hungry all the time? Why would the pubic hair grow? You know what? I actually forgot to look up what, because I wrote that, and I was like, I gotta look up the why on that one, yeah. and then I forgot to look up the why. You know what? Let's just let it be. The audience, <laughs> you let us know why the pubic hair grew you take this research on yourself maybe your body shrinks and then the hers get longer as a result like when they say with your they, the they, fingernails your, yeah. your fingernails yeah. like grow oh, yeah, after yeah, yeah. death but it's just your skin receding mm-hmm. that's great marcus you did mention one optimal word picnic Mm-hmm. They should have had more picnics. <laughs> Did anyone suggest a Saturday picnic during a, this time? A picnic is only a picnic when it's optional. They all lived outside because they had shanty huts. Uh, so mostly, um, yeah, they were constantly, in a word, picnicking. Picnicking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And also, I mean, if you were picnicking, you were eating grass, you were eating acorns. And if you tried killing a deer in yeah. the king's forest, that all that shit from Robin Hood, that was real. Like you they could would be, kill you? You would be executed for killing a deer in the king's forest. For in sure. fact, that's where my last name comes from that's where my people are the parks is the origin of the name parks is that my ancestors were park rangers that we would be the people you killed the people who were hungry that's right well they had to die <laughs> they had to die now from what we can surmise we think the great famine killed about half a million people in england and about 10 percent of all germans although we have absolutely no way of knowing how many people died in rural europe But even though those numbers are low compared to what was seen during the Black Death, it was actually the Great Famine that enabled the mortality numbers for the Black Death to be so high, at least in part. See, when it comes to malnutrition, a famine of just three years has long-term effects on the future immune system of children who are born into the famine. Mm. And the people who were adults when the Black Death hit were children during the Great Famine. Man, they Jesus. had to go through all of that shit. It's kind of very similar how we had to go through ALF just oh, to get to that. Big Bang Theory. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember one time I, I got a uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle toy and uh, it had broken in the yeah. package. Uh-huh. Just like and, the play. Uh, I had to return that at Kmart and what a, what a pain in the ass that was. You might as well have been dying, tripping balls in a field nude, covered in mud and mites. Yeah, my, my surfer Raphael, yeah, the arm broke on him there. Mm. What a fucking dick in the ass by God. <laughs> I'm pretty upset about it still. However, the Great Famine also got the ball rolling on the big societal changes that came about after the Black Death. See, before the Great Famine, most people in rural England, at least, didn't have surnames. 
Last names were reserved for the wealthy and political classes because peasants didn't have a reason to move beyond their little slice of land or their village. And just so long as there weren't an abundance of guys named Ralph in your area, there was no need for separate designations. You're just Ralph. Then you'd be dumb Ralph, and yeah, then there's exactly. fat Ralph, and then exactly. there's like crooked leg Ralph, and then there's Ralph that fucked my wife. Oh, oh my goodness. But after the Great Famine, and especially after the Black Plague, peasants began to move from town to town for work because there were so few people left. And people, therefore, began taking surnames based on their hometown. Like, say, now you're Ralph Kent, because you're Ralph from Kent. Oh, okay. And once you had too many Ralphs in Kent, surnames became professions. Oh, man, I love fat Superman, Ralph Kent. He's great. He works for the National Enquirer. He could fly three feet above the ground, and he went just slower than a slow bullet. I can jump half as big as the normal man. Wow, Ralph Kent. Now, the Little Ice Age and the Great Famine certainly did their jobs in weakening Europe's population for the upcoming plague. But the last piece of the puzzle that enabled the plague to run rampant was one simple yet widespread problem. Filth. 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 I don't want to live forever. <laughs> Filth. See, when the Great Famine hit, the already overcrowded cities were swarmed with refugees from the countryside. And those peasants brought what animals were left after the Rinderpest epidemic, filling the city with more garbage, more shit, and more rats. All of their villages literally got rained out. Right. So after years and years and years of rain and destroyed all of like the village, like kind of the, the worker class, like people that would go and kind of live on their own and whatever the free lands were or what, like the outer edges of whatever fiefdom they were a part of. Right. And so they would be fucked. Right. Everything that they ever had was destroyed. And so they would all just roll into whatever cities they were. But as they would come in, they would just leave their actual lumps of shit and dead animals as they went into the cities and then they're like okay here to be fed ready wow. to get some food from all of y'all and they're oh like my. well we only had so much for like for us you know what i mean because yeah. we kind of been in here in the city scenario and you, you seem to have left a lump of shit <laughs> over here and that was the beginning of old country buffet where they realized treat them like cattle they're hog people <laughs> By 1330, the cities were drowning in garbage and human waste. And the problem was so great that in one recorded instance, one man actually murdered another man over something as trivial as littering. As the story goes, a London merchant confronted an eel peddler who had tossed some eel skins into the lane outside of the merchant's shop. The merchant demanded the eel peddler pick up the skins, and when the peddler refused... The merchant, who had reached the end of his rope, Done. stabbed the peddler to death. You don't fuck with a conservationist. It's they really are hard. very serious people. This is the future the liberals want. <laughs> this is what they want. Well, this is just don't throw your shit just, in front of my store. I'm I not just, fucking, I'm tired. I've got, I have to already deal with a river of shit and a river of blood that is constantly flowing past my store. Oh, and now you're fucking, throw, you're fucking throwing eels out there. You're complaining about having a shop. Oh, I got to wrestle eels all day. That's nope. my job. Look how much I'm wriggling. To be you fair. actually bite. <laughs> Neither of them were happy, to be fair. But you know that one guy was just like, Pamela, I can't fucking... One more person. <laughs> I see one more eel skin. And He's... then it just happened at the perfect time. Mm -hmm. You know, yep. hey, it could happen to any of us. 
But even outside of the tossed eel skins, cities were covered in outdoor slaughterhouses and backed up gutters of shit. And when those were combined with all the garbage that these people produced, you had the perfect breeding ground for hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of rats. So we are going back to rats here. We're out of gerbils, we're out of hamsters. Well, gerbils, and I mean... They are obviously not exonerated in any way, shape, or form. You're not exonerated. <laughs> the rats are a part of this a whole scenario. Yeah. If I were going to put them all, like, let's say give them villain names, because you got the gerbils on one side. They think they're super fucking cute, and they mm. can hide behind their of long course. tails. Meanwhile, the rats are the obvious culprit. They're the ones because they can jump real high, and they love human shit. Yeah. They do. The, the gerbils are like poison ivy, and the rats are the joker. Okay. Ooh, yeah. I love poison ivy and the joker. Mm-hmm. Sexy. Mm-hmm. Now, really? Black, you think gerbils are sexy? Oh, they're sexier than rats. <laughs> so you I fuck say, a gerbil. Actually, I would totally say rats are sexier than gerbils. There was, okay, first of all, we all I'm know. I'm going to put it on the record. I'd go for a woman. <laughs> <laughs> or no, a very gerbils, feminine man. <laughs> gerbils are definitely a sexier rodent than a rat. Huh. No, yeah, man, absolutely. Rat, you get more of it's your dick in it. <laughs> yeah. Gerbils are too small. Like, it would just sniff around your balls. It's so hard to, like, you'd have to cut it open and kind of wrap it around your dick like it's a hot dog bun. <laughs> well, guys, you know what? We're CEOs. Let's table it. We'll circle back. We'll circle back. Yeah. Really, black rats are extraordinary creatures from an objective point of view, perhaps the most efficient pests in history. Just two black rats breeding continuously for three years in optimal conditions are able to produce 329 million offspring. Dude, but you know for a fact these rats are like... This is fucking awesome. This is a fucking fuck party, man. No, man, they're the Irish of the rodent world. <laughs> Dude, even today, London is home to 20 million rats. Okay. You know, New York City, we get a bad fucking rap for having rats. We have a lot of rats. London has 10 times more rats than we really? do. Yeah, we only have 2 million rats. That's it? Yeah. Oh, I had a rat in my apartment one time. That They are, they, they don't die. No. They do not die. You know who I blame? Who? Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> blaming Dick Van Dyke for a month and a half. I don't know what he did to you recently. He's got skeleton mouth. <laughs> You're just upset that he's living his best life at an older age with a beautiful woman. No, I love that about him. Okay. But uh, it's his, he's like a dancing skeleton. He scares he's me, He's 98 honestly. years I know. old. He kinda, he's kind of crickety and he really, honestly, his face creeps me out. Well, it'll happen to all of us, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. And furthermore, a black rat can jump three feet from a standing position. It can Ugh. just leap three feet. <laughs> I I, if a rat was sitting here right now where I am, Ben, a, that rat could leap and start eating your face get, in a second. Get out! Get out of here! You've never seen a rat bounce off a woman on the subway train like when you were like <laughs> waiting for one in New York? I remember seeing a rat jump, bounce off her tits, <laughs> and then like the look on her face, because it's just like a, because oh, it happens so quickly, yeah. and you didn't know that your tits could be a bounce board for something other than a very small man <laughs> absolutely i saw a rat a massive must it looked like 10 pound rat it went through a hole the size of a quarter yeah they are endlessly powerful they can fit through uh a opening a quarter of an inch they can squeeze wow. down they can also fall 50 feet without hurting themselves why were they made <laughs> to test us yeah. yeah yeah and since they can fit into any opening that's a quarter of an inch wide that meant that they could cram themselves into any structure in medieval England. Uh-oh, because oh, oh, oh. oh my god hundreds of rats are inside a castle um, but all the shanty walls of the medieval world were made of a loose plaster. Like, so they were kind of made shittily. It was very similar to plaster yeah. of Paris. Yeah. So yeah, they were just 
filled with rats. right through that. Yeah. yeah. A lot of structures they had to replace every 30 years or so. Except right. if it wasn't a castle or something like that. Eventually they got better at it. But back then, yeah. About every 30 years, a house would just fucking collapse. All right. Furthermore, rats also thrive on dead animals. And there was no shortage of death in medieval cities even before the plague. Dog catchers were more dog killers. Mm. And they left copious amounts of stray corpses to rot on the street and feed the rats. That's the problem. Just why didn't anybody pick up after themselves at all? They, there was no culture for it. Mm. Ah, okay. And besides the rivers of blood that came from butcher shops, along with the piles of discarded hearts, livers, and intestines, cool. surgeon barbers would pour the blood they'd let from their patients' veins out into the gutters, oh. which was the perfect sup for a rat. The streets. The rat Bloody Mary. They yeah. ran with blood. Jesus. Like actual, not just animal blood, but human blood. Mm-hmm. Now, concerning barber surgeons, I was actually quite interested to discover where the name barber surgeon comes from. Yeah. Hmm. See, they were indeed barbers, but in medieval Europe, regular folk were a little nervous about a stranger holding a razor to their neck. Okay. But the thing was, is that barbers figured they were leaving a lot of money on the table since they had all these fucking knives lying around. So <laughs> barbers became barber surgeons, expanding to bloodletting, amputations, wound cauterizing, tooth removal, and boil lancing. Pretty much anything having to do with knives and flesh. So you go in, you get your tooth removed, probably lose a pinky or two, and then at the end you're like, and I'll have some corned beef. Seriously? <laughs> really? It's a one-stop shop. Yeah. And yeah, you can't have these knives sitting around. You yeah. got a barber, you can get a crop top. I would assume they also butcher some meat for you. Oh, the butchers and the a... barber surgeons, those are, well, they're when separate. I say, do they do butcher When I surgeons? say flesh and knives, I mean human flesh and knives. Okay. The butchers are a whole different game so than the barber like you surgeons. Get, you get your teeth removed, you move a couple of toes, and then you get a nice cut. Yeah. Then you get a haircut. Okay, sure. Yeah. But you could still get to probably get a sandwich there if it's a good barber surgeon. Yeah. yeah. But the funny thing was that like butchers and barber surgeons were on the same level. They were considered craftsmen. You know, there was no... I prefer if I don't have the... I am the thing that you are crafting. <laughs> well, that's the idea. They got to practice on somebody and, oh, I bet your organs are easy to find because they're <laughs> so big and bulbous. You had a bad experience with that. <laughs> oh, what are you talking about? <laughs> when you cut your finger off and you had that person. Oh yeah, Henry I did, did a experimental I did. surgery. Well, I went to an urgent care and they said, "Is it cool if we have one of our residents like do this when I cut the tip of my thumb off?" Yeah, I remember that. And then, and then the guy was like, "He's like, just hold steady," and he cauterized my wound, and I screamed. I've never had that sound come out of me before. And then when he left, the doctor came in and looked at my thumb and was like, "He didn't have to cauterize that." <laughs> Probably could have stopped him from doing that. But anyway. I didn't want to be like, no, damn it, no. <laughs> My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it. But guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right. Give the moms in your life an aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put 
photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional. And we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Ah, Jules. Oh, Jules. Make a wife smile today. The road to getting engaged can be long and full of memories and pitfalls and landmines. Or it can be short and thrilling, like a roller coaster on the way to the police department. But the road to finding the perfect engagement ring is a straightforward path every time. All you've got to do is head over to BlueNile.com and they're going to ship them rocks straight to your wife's new fingers. On BlueNile.com, you can create a bigger, more brilliant piece than you can imagine. At a price you won't find at a traditional jeweler, Blue Nile is the original online jeweler since 1999. That's present time to me. Their diamond price guarantee means that in most cases they can meet or beat a competitor's price on a comparable diamond. I know when I got my wife a beautiful Blue Nile necklace, the first thing she did was, what did you do? But afterwards, she was so happy to have it, and she loved it, and she wore it when we went on vacation, and my own, did everybody come around being like, where'd you get that piece, you beautiful woman? And I was like, stop talking to my wife. She's spoken for, you can see it with the Blue Nile. Bling, she's got on her. Right now, get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more with code LASTPODCAST at BlueNile.com. That's $50 off with code LASTPODCAST at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors. It's a waste. Don't waste hours on apps. Besides appetizers, that's the kind of apps I like. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Did you know that empanada is already Spanish? I didn't. Thanks, Babbel. Did you know that burrito is already Spanish? Wow. I just got to learn all the rest. And eventually, I'm going to be eating downtown Mexico. Thanks, Babbel. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash left. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash left, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash L-E-F-T. Rules and restrictions may apply. <laughs> but speaking of the slashing of flesh, the final and deadliest spreader of the plague once it arrived in Europe was war. Yes! Specifically, the way that war began to change in the 14th century. See, by the time the Black Death struck in the 1340s, the Scots were killing the English, the English were killing the French, the French were killing the Flemings, and the Italians and Spanish were killing themselves, all on huge battlefields throughout the European countryside. They fought for 100 years. They also were... They, they what fought over? of this new... Honestly, what did they fight over? 
Was it land? land? Yeah, land, uh, ideologies, uh, like thrones. Okay. Yeah. It was all of that because it was all- The papacy, Rome. Okay. Like, it was like cities would get mad at each other and then they just start fucking wars with each other. Because sure. the French was, uh, they were not one country yet. France was not one country. It was a bunch of like landholders and little small dignitaries. Right. And then there was like Italy, the same thing. So they'd all interfight. They also were, they came up with the incredible military idea of called Chevauche, mm. which um, was- kill and pillage and rape and burn all the people because what they figure out a way to weaken the countries was you do is what i do in civ you gotta pillage everybody it's and you just kill like fucking that. everybody yeah. is, but um, it made for a wholly unpleasant experience in the middle of europe chabache yeah. sounds so nice and pleasant it then it's like what does it mean you're like that's why the french the language of love uh -huh. the meaning is all death and murder <laughs> well i mean really that of course it weakened the countryside but when they did the the chevalier the main purpose of that was to break sieges mm -hmm. because the king or whoever ruled the land would close themselves up in their castle and it would take like a year to break a siege. It's hard uh, once you get behind them walls. Mm -hmm. And so what the opposing armies would do is they would just murder all of the villagers, murder all the people all around everywhere. So the king would be forced to leave his castle and come get his you. people. Yeah. And then he would be killed. Well, mm -hmm. you, the idea is you try to make the king come out to come get you. Yeah. And then when you go when you go run out in the woods and the king's out there, but a lot of times like the king would be trained to fight, but sometimes the king's a fourteen year old. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or just a rickety old incest yeah. baby. Yeah. Oh yeah. Many times an incest baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this wasn't quite to the times of incest yet. Really, the incest came like later on, uh, when it got really, really bad. Don't okay. discount snood life from having some brothers and sisters doing a little nicking. Oh <laughs> because my Because I'm pretty certain there was some brother and sister lickety lick going on throughout the thirteen hundreds. I'm yeah. sure there was. But with the chef what that did was the, these were mini massacres all around the countryside and those produced more and more bodies and these essentially gave rats and the armies that they followed, it gave the rats tiny little feeding stations. Suburbs. Yeah. Yeah, the rats the had a whole thing. Yeah, they get their Lebo or uh -huh. their Rira, whatever they have like here in Denver. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that produced more rats and more fleas spreading the plague. Now, concerning these larger armies, commanders discovered that while cavalry was a formidable force on the battlefield, mounted soldiers could be taken down if you just overwhelmed them with peasants armed with pikes and bows. Yeah, dude, because a horse Horses get spooked, and all of a sudden you stab a horse in the fucking balls, and drops the knight off the top of it, and you get it underneath and stab him, stab him, stab him, stab him. You just like flood the area with dudes. Yeah, yeah. There is some alternate universe where like there's like rat casts, rat podcasts, and they cover the same topic, and they're just like the good old days. We're covering the Black Death. Oh, this was a good time to be a rat. What? Yeah. This is the rat heyday right here. <laughs> yeah, like how we talk about like the Great Roman Empire. Yeah, that's how the rats talk about the Black Plague. Absolutely, they were yeah. kings. <laughs> Well, infantry was also cheaper than cavalry because five or six bowmen or pikemen would cost about the same as one cavalryman. And they were also very expendable because they were all peasants. How much did you say I was going for? Oh, one shilling, huh? Is that a lot or? Uh, <laughs> oh, it's purposely very little. It's very little, so yeah, you don't so mind if I... a helmet. Um, yeah, how old are you? I don't care. You just go towards the front. He's an older one. Put him towards the front, towards please. The front. So that'll be where I'm safest? Or... Mm, why lie? <laughs> well, as a result, armies became much larger. Again, producing more garbage, more bodies, and more rats once the battles were over and done with. 
Additionally, while the bodies bred rats, war bred sickness, because the insane stress of being a medieval infantryman weakened his immune system, and the constant march and battle cycle produced filthy men, which attracted more plague-carrying rat fleas. Oh, gosh. If one bar of Irish Spring, one bar of Irish Spring could have just saved all of this. It could have. In many ways, it could have. But when then also they invent the- soap? Or just jumping in the river. But they had But that was, that's what they considered to be gay, right? Yes, it was bad. It made you you horny. Oh, yeah, that all checks. Well, that is when when medieval people did take baths or when they did clean themselves up, most of the time it was like jumping in the river. That wasn't too bad. It was just taking baths. That was the bad thing. Because people who worked in shit, like that were like worked in latrines and things, they did clean the shit off of them daily. Oh, they did. But they were also jumping into a river where the shit had been flowing into all day long. It was just upriver. (laughs) And then. They would all. They so would go. Bad. They had coarse salt soap that used to scour their skin. That they would only use to wash essentially their clothes. And they also they actively used lye yeah. quite a bit. <laughs> so they you could get washed, but a lot of times just it was so just like sort of burning your skin. You just off. get burnt. Yeah. But as far as where and how the plague entered Europe, the main entry point was Sicily, specifically the port city of Messina. This was where the ship or ships that had escaped both the Golden Horde and the plague at Kaffa had arrived. Do you remember reading that letter? Did you read the letter about how the head of the uh, of the Mongolian armies like sent that letter to the Pope saying, it's time for you to surrender now? Like as they were about to, this whole thing as they were pressing forward, like through Kaffa and all yeah. this kind of shit. The Mongolians very well could have taken over half of Europe if it wasn't for the plague. Yeah. The plague and what and the side effects of the plague made them turn back and actually concentrate more warfare in the China region mm. of their empire. But they were coming for Rome and for France, and they sent this letter essentially being like, we're ready for your surrender at any point now. We're going to come get you. <laughs> and it was only the plague that kept all of Europe from being a part of the Mongolian empire. So you're empire. telling me the Catholics benefited by a bunch of starvation Death and it's despair. weird, right? Isn't that weird? Now, the lucky genes theory that we talked of last episode is only one of the possibilities of how the plague made such a long journey without killing everyone on board these ships from Kaffa to Sicily. Equally likely is that the plague spread simply because of how sea travel was done in those days. See, back then, most sailors found the act of traveling out of the sight of land to be psychologically disturbing, which meant that most ships sailed along the coast where land could easily be seen. I'd love that. Honestly, I'm very afraid of the ocean. Well, that was the whole thing with Christopher Columbus. Everyone knew that the world was round. It was just sailing out of the sight of land just wasn't done it was an insane thing to do i get it it sounds scary also when you said lucky jeans i did think of the sisterhood of the traveling pants Uh, but then i did realize you're talking about genetics (laughs) i got it it took me a second but i got it well consequently since land could be seen port cities could also be seen and these ships carrying plague infected crews likely stopped at ports every few days to trade and refresh supplies Amazingly, though, these ships also picked up more men in every port city to replace the ones who had died, probably recruited by the few crewmen who had the lucky genes that enabled them to escape sickness and death. Polish people. <laughs> and we're going to get to that later in this series. We're we don't talk know about if they were Polish. Henry's just very proud that the Polish skirted the plague. He we did not get proud. the plague. We're immune to AIDS. Just let everybody know that. At first, I thought... <laughs> When I first saw the sentence that Polish people are immune to AIDS, I thought it was just they didn't like to get help yeah. from people. They didn't like to reach out. Right. I think it was just no one had sex with them. Um, <laughs> we had sex, but I it was know. with our families. 
<laughs> but it seems to me like you know the video game Five Nights at Freddy's, mm-hmm. how it begins where it's like, what happened to the last guy who worked here? <laughs> like I just feel like if I'm going on a boat and they're like, you're gonna fill in for Stu, it's like, what happened to Stu exactly? Uh. Like you'll find out. But honestly, I think aren't sailors who were not expendable, but they were. It is a transitory life. Yeah. Now, the plague hit Messina fast and hard after the plague ships docked. And within weeks, if not days, the city was split into the sick and the well. And this is the point when the Black Plague starts to ravage Europe for the next four years. Sicily itself is such a microcosm of how the plague Mm -hmm. rips up an island yeah. because it just it as soon as the the green light hit for the plague people would like obviously they were incredibly overwhelmed by it but it, at the same time they they reacted in a very self-serving manner as oh, well yeah. well in messina crazed dogs ran wild in the streets roads were filled with refugees fleeing the sickness and spreading it even further and the woods around the city were filled with the corpses of people who had wandered off to die alone because this is a new sickness no one knew what the fuck was happening or where anyone was going to end up even next week much less next month well because at its best the plague kills you in six days at its worst the plague kills you 48 hours if not less less. than three days i'm actually gonna flip those two though because i you know me i'm gonna get it done with please but the thing with six days of this but the people who died in six days had an extra three days to travel. Yeah. So while oh, they are great. running scared from everything that's happening, literally watching people clap, screaming in the streets, like you're watching death happen live in front of you. So you're running as far as you can. Meanwhile, just spreading more and more plague as mm-hmm. you go. Right. Yeah. The fear of the plague was so great that legends sprung up immediately. One friar wrote that a black dog with a sword in its paw rushed into a church and smashed all the sacred objects. While another friar claimed that a statue of the Virgin Mary was prevented from entering the city when the earth gaped open before its path. <laughs> you know what? If I was there, I'd be like, somebody fucked the Virgin Mary statue, didn't you? I want to see every one of your dicks and I'm looking for soot. I'm looking, looking for, for dust. I'm looking for dust. Did you fuck the Virgin Mary statue? Well, according to one account, the plague wiped out entire networks of people within hours. It was said that a man waiting to make his will died along with the notary, the priest who heard the confession, and the people that were there to witness the will. And all of them were buried the next day. Wow. All fucking dead. I also, the one story <sighs> that I liked that it came up, it's very brief. and I You really find enjoyed this story. I love this story. <laughs> yeah, okay. um, but the, it's, it's a brief story in The Great Mortality, but I, I was looking at, there is some seeds of this, but about their Duke Regent. Duke Giovanni of Mm. Sicily who abandoned his job, right? So when the plague hit Sicily, he was like, fuck this, I'm out. Save a number one. And he just jumped into the woods. And so he would go into, he would read out into the woods and he became like a woods person where he, and he's like the fancy man of Sicily. Yeah. And he's out there with his, all of his fineries getting covered in dirt and leaves and sticks and shit and popping up every once in a while being, is plague done? Run on back! And he'd run back into the woods. And he said that he became sort of like a cryptid of the Sicilian forest where he would run, you know, like basically they would see, it's like, I think that's our fucking president over there. And he's like, oh, no, is it out of me? I am a pasta foot. Oh, it's pasta foot. But uh, then he died in the plague. He did die. Okay. Yeah, he deserved it. Yeah. 
I'm sure some of them did deserve it, of course. but most of them, of course, did not. Oh, yeah. Now, eventually, people began to realize that the plague was coming into Messina through the ships. So any ship showing signs of infection was turned away. All this did, though, was take the plague to different cities who had mm. not yet experienced the plague. Hell yeah. Which, <laughs> which spread it even wider. Sicily, however, simply saw the plague as an act of God. And until the plague burned itself out in the fall of 1348... Chaos reigned for an entire year. Chaos reigned. You have been celebrating a lot of the horrible components of this, Mr. This Sabrowski. This is such a fucking metal series, man. <laughs> I love all metal. of this shit. It, it's dookie. It's human shit. Now, it's estimated that a third of the population of Sicily died, and the entire island was littered with dead bodies, found everywhere from the desolate volcanic interior to the green valleys near the coastal plains and Sicily's beaches. From Sicily, the plague spread into Italy, who was going through yet another famine caused by torrential rains that had flooded the country for six months. At the same time, major earthquakes rocked Rome, Jeez. Venice, Pisa, Bologna, Naples, and Padua. And in Cyprus, poisonous gases erupted from the ground when the earth cracked open. This is why they thought that this shit came directly from God. I think it may have. Now, the more that I hear about it, I think God may have been really pissed off about something. There's some research going into the fact that they think that the re the earthquakes and the cracks that it would cause would release plague bacteria from the inner earth, that literally the earth itself was attacking Killing us with us. plague. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Finally, war between cities in Italy had enveloped the country, producing even more misery and death. And when the plague entered the city of Venice, the city reacted reasonably in some ways and terribly cruel in others. The plague arrived in January of 1348, and by March, a ruling body decreed that all ships entering Venice would be boarded and searched, and any vessel that harbored corpses or refugees that might have come into contact with the plague were set ablaze, killing everyone on board. Everybody's got to go. What a solution. <laughs> That's such a nice solution you came up with. Also, I want to note, uh, I don't know if the audience heard that, but while he was recounting this horrible detail, Kissel's stomach rumbled <laughs> like a cartoon bear hungry for honey. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a boat barbecue. <laughs> on the reasonable side, Venice shut down all drinking houses and inns, dead bodies were pulled from buildings and disposed of, convoys carried away the poor who had died in the streets, and the dead were all buried five feet deep after receiving a final prayer from a priest, ending the Venetian tradition of burying the deceased in front of one's own house. Mm. Once the city began dying in impossible numbers, though, Venetians gave clemency to most prisoners and emptied the cells of debt exiles mm. who could return to the dying city if they could manage to pay off one-fifth of their debt. So not only do you get to pay your bill, but you, you also get to die of the plague. This is so nice. I'm also just, as you mentioned before, we all have the same. The human brain hasn't changed whatsoever. None. The human mind loves taxes, don't they? It really does. <laughs> and it's the, the only thing that will get you on. Think about this. They, they don't care. They don't care. They're, they're saying they're doing this we're releasing the prisoners because of it kind of reminds me of michael cohen when he got released too right? sure. he released all these people for COVID. it's like we'll release you but you still owe me that money yeah. <laughs> we'll take that money yeah yeah we will get that money as soon mm -hmm. as possible or you you're dead let me feel your fucking pockets their taxes are going for so many great gulches full of shit <laughs> and how everything is like nine shambles <laughs> one stoplight would have made me happy. It was Put to, up a stop sign. It was to pay for some very rich young man's 
purple dye in his clothes because purple oh. dye was incredibly expensive. Mm-hmm. God, the wealthy in this time period. Oof. What a dye. Yeah. You just wait. Okay. By the summer of 1348, a year and a half after the plague arrived, 600 people were dying in Venice per day. And the city ordered a stop to the mass exodus of the population, lest Venice become a ghost town. As a result, 60% of Venice, about 72,000 people, died in the Black Death. <sighs> Following Venice, the plague entered a new phase when it entered central Italy through the port of Pisa. There, the plague worked so fast that a galley crew visiting a fish market merely spoke to a fishmonger, and the fishmonger soon fell ill and died. I was supposed to die in a war! Oh, man. <laughs> oh, no! Oh. oh, that's where opera came from. Isn't that, isn't that something? And he probably had a couple of fish that you could steal after he died. <laughs> from Pisa, the plague moved to Pistoia, where it was decreed that bodies couldn't be removed from their place of death until they were enclosed in a wooden box with a lid that had been nailed shut. And that box was then buried in a grave dug two and a half arm lengths deep. Pistoia also decreed that people could not accompany a corpse further than the door of the church at a funeral, and bells to accompany mourning were forbidden so as to not trouble or frighten the sick. Which makes sense, because if they did ring the bells for every funeral, the bells would never stop. Non-stop. Yeah. yeah. But these rules only applied to the lowlier folk of Pisoia. Whoa, 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 the, whoa. I'm sh sh shot. Because <laughs> the families of knights, judges, doctors of physic, or doctors of law, they were allowed to mourn in any way they please. I mean, yeah, they have the diamond package. <laughs> the diamond package of life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it seems as if these measures did do something to prevent the spread of the plague. Because while places like Venice lost 60% of its population... Pistoia only lost a third. Hey. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. Or Does just it... random shit ass fucking luck. Yeah. They, they just a roll of the dice where some places where everybody died. Did yeah. some people only, in some places only some of the people died. Isn't that great? You can just see the politicians spinning it right now. Just be like, only one third. <laughs> we didn't like them anyway. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, while that did work in Pistoia, in some cities, Nothing they did had any effect on the plague in any way whatsoever. And no Italian city saw more horrors from the Black Death than Florence. See, by the time the plague reached Florence, they'd already survived an epidemic of another kind in 1340, probably measles or smallpox. Mm. And that was in addition to a war with Pisa in 1341 and civil strife by the time the plague arrived. In one incident, the city's chief of police and his son were publicly executed and dismembered. Yes. And once the police chief and his son were dead, the crowd cut them into tiny little bits yeah. and feasted upon raw flesh then and there. Well, <laughs> two metal for life. And that is where I don't even know if I want to say it, but the, because like you eat like pigs and yeah. stuff, and then sometimes people refer to police officers as pigs. Yeah. It's kind of like that a sometimes little bit. Sometimes you get those two little little, little chunks. Yeah. Because it makes me think of Costco. Mm. Yeah. When you go and get oh, the little samples. samples. Exactly. <laughs> See, man, everyone's complaining like, oh, they say they want to defund the police. It's like back in the day they, they killed you everyone. See, <laughs> and they would eat you. Uh, so things still aren't that bad. 
Florence was then hit by the same famine that had hit the rest of Italy, and they had no money to import more grain because King Edward III in England had borrowed over a million florins to fund the Hundred Years' War with France, and King Edward had defaulted on his loan. Oh, <laughs> you remember, King Edward! This is also the middle of the Hundred Years' War. Well, this is, also is right one at of... the beginning of the Hundred Years' War. The uh, Hundred Years' War had started like about five or six years earlier. Hundred Years' War actually lasted for 116 years, oh. and it was actually it was three different phases. And there was like usually uh, kind of a pause of about 10, 15 years between phases, but this is like right in the... So imagine like the, in the Hundred Years' War was the bloodiest conflict right. in medieval history, and that was also going on during the Black Plague. Okay, so it's like hockey. You have two intermissions. <laughs> yeah. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I, I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction, and it's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins as soon as I wake up. And a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp! H-E-L-P dot com slash LastPod. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse picks. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse picks over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports, and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. Grammarly can help. 
Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. And isn't that what matters most? Better writing means a stronger impact. Grammarly works across 500,000 apps and websites. You can't escape it. Like the ever-pervasing octopus of malice that is the NSA. Grammarly is watching your every move, making sure that you're doing it right. Data privacy and security are woven into the foundation of Grammarly, into the very essence of its nature. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner, and it helps your team make their point and move faster, because that's the key there. Work smarter, not harder. That's Grammarly. You know how many times it saves me from writing a long, rambling, one-sentence email at 4 o'clock in the morning to my beloved employees? Makes me sound like someone who doesn't just have a BA in theater. All right. I was taught how to be a tree. I was not taught how to survive as an adult. All right. My job was to cry in front of a weird Southern man who just told me all sorts of weird stuff about my body. I didn't learn how to write. So thank you, Grammarly, because you're making me the boss I gotta be to motivate my team to get out there. Oh, man, you don't want to mess with them. Thanks, Grammarly. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free. Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. By records, when the plague hit Florence, it quickly killed eight to 10,000 children, 30,000 wool workers, 600 notaries and lawyers, and 60 physicians and surgeons. Well, apparently Florence, part of the reason why it got hit so hard is that its main, I believe, import and export is wool. Yeah. And the one thing that rats like is ah. a warm little bed because they used to go into all the wool and they'd sleep in it and be like, hmm, can't wait to kill everybody next week. <laughs> and they would go in and they would just come out of the wool and be like, <laughs> you got it. Yeah. And the wool is then full of fleas, which then jump to the wool workers, which then jump to everybody else. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and really look, the reason why things were so bad in some place or worse in some places and not as bad in other, it really was like these little things, yeah. you know, but that, that's why this story, this the whole subject matter is so fascinating. Yeah. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because it really is these little human factors that really show. And uh, I don't know, I'm, you know, we're obviously, I'm, I'm at my wispy hairline deep mm-hmm. into this. And it's really nice to see all of these little societal Mm-hmm. things similarities and then obviously yeah i mean technology there's a lot of differences yeah but there are a lot of human similarities as well oh very much so we'll get to the insane human similarities here in a bit well, tragically one of the scribes who documented the plague in florence so well was himself stricken down and the last thing he wrote in his plague journal was and the plague lasted until dot 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 just before he died of the plague himself i don't want to have a plague journal <laughs> I don't want to do that ever, no. please. We need hamburger yeah. diaries. Ooh, that I can do. We sit down, we talk about our favorite hamburgers, Today, our favorite milkshakes. You wouldn't believe it. Avocado on a hamburger. I thought it was out there until I had it in here. It's great. And my hamburger lasted until dot, 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 <laughs> seven minutes ago. Another writer, a poet named Giovanni Boccaccio, wrote that he witnessed the rags of a pauper who died from the plague being thrown in the street, which attracted the attention of two street pigs. 
Dang. Wait, how tough them street pigs are. Wait, are they actual pigs? Have you ever met the east side porkers? <laughs> when you're a pig, you're a pig all the way from oh your first turnip head to your last dying day. Every city had street pigs. <laughs> street pigs. Street pigs. I love it. Like Orson's brother from Garfield and Friends. Yeah. They were mean street oh, pigs. Oh, yeah, man. The pigs then did what pigs do, and they snuffled around the rags. They are cute, even when they're being horrible. Yeah, yeah. And they ripped the rags apart to extract the nutrients that were on the rags, which is probably plague, pus, and blood. That's a pretty good pus. But yeah, because that's how you get beat into the East Side Porkers. You gotta eat a bunch of plague pus. Oh. A short time later, Boccaccio wrote, the pigs began to writhe around as if they'd been poisoned and both dropped dead to the ground. Suicide. Oh. <laughs> Boccaccio wrote further that the plague went far beyond the citizens of Florence, simply avoiding one another. The fear of the plague was so great that brothers abandoned brothers, uncles their nephews, sisters their brothers, and wives their husbands. As we've, we'll see, because these next two episodes are kind of going country by country to mm-hmm. see their the people's reactions to the plague in Italy. The fear response seems to be the biggest response yeah. where people just freaked out and bugged. Like as soon as they saw that their family was dying of the plague, people just said peace and yeah. just went north. Sure. In some cases, the fear was so overwhelming that, quote, fathers and mothers refused to nurse and assist their own children as though they did not belong to them. And of course, when death and chaos reigns, Bad men came to take advantage, as they always do. Mm -hmm. In Florence, the most hated people in town were the grave diggers. Why? (laughs) You're the most hated people in town. You'll you'll see, which were called the Biccini in the Italian tongue. Oh, actually, I'm going to give America, I'm going to give English the win on that one. (laughs) Grave digger is so much cooler than Piccini. But I would say, like, we call them grave diggers. We act as if that's just what they do when they dig graves. This really is. Like, if they all got together and decided to make a fucking gang. Yeah. <laughs> well, the Piccini adopted the motto, those who live in fear die. Yeah, fucker! Jesus Christ! And they descended upon the city like vultures, demanding huge fees for body disposal while drinking, wenching, and carousing as the city died around them. You use the word wenching and carousing in a way that kind of makes it sound fun. <laughs> But they weren't, they were actually very dangerous. And they were, um, that's what the whole thing is that they would just be like, we don't, obviously we could let these bodies all stay around here, but Mm -hmm. wouldn't it be a shame something happened to your fucking family? This is the beginning of the sanitation union, the most powerful (laughs) union in every local government. Yeah. Eventually the people of Florence had to fear that gangs of drunken, shovel-wielding grave diggers would burst into their homes demanding ransom, lest the Bacini murder them and pass their body off as just another plague victim. It's look like it's a time to make some work. <laughs> we got to make the bodies ourselves. There's so many bodies you can have. <laughs> yes, I like a fresh. You want a fresh one? It's a nice. It's like, oh, and you get that nice caprese. You get the nice, mm. little, oh, you get the mm. fresh mozzarella. Yeah, did Italians eat like Italian food then, like as we see it today? I'm sure they like, had a nice know, mozzadelle. They did. Yeah, this okay. isn't a food history podcast. <laughs> I know. I, I don't know. know if they had baba ghouls. They might have. I don't have. know. I wonder when it all started. Yeah. 
Well, as far as where the Pacini were taking all these bodies, most dead Florentines ended up piled in the plague pits with thousands of other victims. And interestingly, these plague pits actually resulted in a change in the way Europeans perceived death. Suddenly, death was a very personal thing, an almost casual event endured in loneliness and anonymity that had all the gravitas of a sick animal dropping dead in the streets. Get it. Whoa. <laughs> I'm with that. Oh, hashtag uh. snood life. Snood life? Whereas before, one could be comforted by the thought of ceremony upon death and the possibility of resurrection come judgment day, the plague pits destroyed all all notions of a romantic death. You might as well be a fucking dog. And wow. that only further increased the collective sense of existential dread. Because right. think about this. You believe that God is doing this to you for your sins. Mm -hmm. So at some point, while you did believe that God was going to be the one that saved you, God was going to be the one that would give you the final absolution all of your sins, it's like, oh, God's doing this to us while we're alive. Yeah. What's yeah. he going to do when we die? What did we do? Like, they ain't no daddy no mo. Yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, Becky, what if I if just a dude with like a travel passport to hell? <laughs> Let's check out hell for a second. <laughs> It's hot springs, but there is a couple of springs. And you think about fire, a little barbecue, s'mores. It's got. A, it's more of a char. It's more, char. Yeah. more of a char. Maybe we should think about Satan. Well, God's going back on his promises. You know, like the resurrection ain't happening anymore. Thank Cause, God, because that's called a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> Man, no, those plague corpses came back and they've just been like, I hope you taped my shows. <laughs> <laughs> Now, as far as how the Black Death affected the way people in Florence lived their lives, people reacted in one of four ways. And this shows you how humans are still the fucking same today as they were back then. The first was complete isolation, in which citizens would lock themselves away in a comfortable home to live a life of sobriety and reduced risk. These people had the highest survival rate. And most of the time, they were also the richest people yes. because they had a place to go. They sure. could do that. You know, they, they could buy a whole shitload of cheese and meats and salted meats and just be like, okay, I'm going to stay in here for a year. All right. Oh, hashtag suffering. We're going to be here. We're going to just do a bit of a staycation. Yeah. And I'm sure also they made videos, though, where they all sing Imagine and we could all relate to them. Well, others believe that the only way to ward off the plague was to live life to the fullest giving in to every single craving or whim, all while shrugging off the Black Death as the world's cruelest joke. Those people had the highest mortality rate. Mm -hmm. I think I might be one of those people. Where it's like, <laughs> fuck it, dude, we're all dying, man. Let's just get some ham and get hammered. But you'd go to, because they try to close all the brothels, yeah. right? But they you know leave what? A Even I gave up strip clubs during COVID. <laughs> so that actually, so now I say no, that's not right. I just think of the place you went to in Nashville where all the girls were masked up, but just the pussies were open. <laughs> It's um, such a weird. It's incredible. Uh, I guess. I guess it doesn't sneak up in there, <laughs> or sneak out. <laughs> well, unless you go to Queefers, yeah. in which case that's very bad. Look at the dough, that little fart of death. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. Go on. Anyway. But at the brothels you'd go to, you'd also be amongst these at the time sex workers that were also a third of them dying of the plague as they were servicing everybody so you'd go down to these like little spots where there would be people openly bleeding Ugh. and like having the, the boobos and but they're still sucking your dick and everybody's <laughs> drinking and shit just smoking opium just trying to be like fucking god will find me where i fall down dude. oh my god hashtag nude life <laughs> 
Most, however, took the more moderate third path. They didn't isolate themselves completely, nor did they carouse openly. But they instead carried flowers or fragrant herbs when they ventured outside, which was supposed to ward off the plague. I actually now think I'm part three. Yeah. Well, this is the, technically, this is the very stringent maskers group. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right. Yeah. And also the uh, the flowers covered the stench of the dead and the dying. You're going to want those. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, you know what, I, my little life hack for my mask to stave off my horrible breath. Mm -hmm. Put a little chocolate bar in there. Sometimes you could literally like you, you choose some nice food beforehand mm -hmm. and then you get the food smells or gum because mm -hmm. it's like menthol mask. Wow, yeah. you really figured it all out. Mm -hmm. For me, it's the nicotine lozenges. They've been my constant companion for the last year and a half. He and loves a, them. A spearmint smell follows me throughout my day. I didn't smell my breath at all. <laughs> hmm. But there was also the fourth group, the people who simply abandoned the cities for their homes in the country. Of course, that was also the people who could afford to do so. So one in four are your wealthy class. The two in the middle are just like trying to survive this the best they can. Yes, city goers, okay. normal city goers. But it's like, you know, and then the, the other group was the ones just wealthy enough to abandon everybody, but then they brought the plague with them wherever they went. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. And speaking of abandonment, if someone decided to leave the city while others in their family were sick, family members suffering from the plague would often be left behind to die in the cruelest of ways. I wouldn't want it any less. <laughs> I don't know about that. To avoid what we might call an uncomfortable conversation. <laughs> uh, yeah, dude. Instead of like ghosting somebody, like they think that this was easier to do. Because yeah. it's literally ghosting someone. Yeah. Because you'd left them to die. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They will become a ghost indeed. Yeah. Well, relatives would leave sweet meats, water, or wine next to the bed of the afflicted. Because yeah. a little snacky, a little snacky. Yeah. You know, you Thanks must be so tired. They, and they would tell them, hey, I'm going to leave this here so you don't have to wake me up tonight. Like, I'm going to get a good night's yeah. sleep. Oh I don't want you to God. wake me up. It, it's just, you just take care of yourself for a little bit because I gotta get a good night's sleep because okay. I can't care of you for days. Wait, wait a second. Why do you have so many bags? <laughs> Why do you have all of your luggage and family? Where are you going? It's fine. I'm just going to market later. You You're brought all of your pictures of your loved ones. See, there is empty shadows on the walls. It's because I saw this guy at the market yesterday and I was telling him how cute my family was and I wanted to show him. Oh, very reasonable. Oh! Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Then once the victim was passed out, the relative would just sneak away and Bye. never return. <laughs> and when the victim awoke to find themselves alone, they figured out what happened. They'd crawl to the window and just scream for help. Fuck you, Greg! <laughs> but since no one could risk the infection, the victims were just left to die by themselves in a pool of their own blood and vomit. Why don't they just do like Uber Eats? <laughs> I don't know. I don't the know. gig economy really could have saved them here. Yeah, yeah. totally. Mm -hmm. By the end of it, Florence had lost half their population, 50,000 people. And in the interim, city officials had taken advantage of the chaos by stealing half a million gold florins from the inheritance and estates of the dead. Scumbags. Well, sometimes they also just got it. Right, because if everybody in the family died, and then yeah. those that were supposed to inherit it were die, yeah. then you basically have all of these holdings that they would just sort of like, 
I guess these are ours now. And, and then was... they'd high five themselves and all of a sudden they all got super rich. And it's like, it's weird because, again, it's very similar mm -hmm. to the fact that, you know, how much money did Jeff Bezos make mm -hmm. last year versus everybody else being well, economically worry. devastated? Because now he can go to the Mars. Yeah. No. And, and I'm calling it the Mars. From no. now. Honestly, it's a breakaway civilization that we've been talking about for years and we are going to see them do it. Mm -hmm. Well, this was the beginning of trickle up economics, which is really the world that we live in. Trickle down was a lie. Yeah. So the only thing that trickles down is plague pus. Oh, that's good. I always say is the cost. The only thing that trickles down is the cost. Mm. I was going to say the rivers of shit. Yeah, that's also. Yeah. Yeah. That also goes. I okay. forgot that's also happened. Three different yeah, yeah. perspectives. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, what's interesting about this particular strain of Yersinia pestis is that in every single way, the second plague pandemic was far deadlier than the third plague pandemic that came centuries later. For starters, the Black Death traveled insanely fast, especially when compared to the third plague pandemic, which occurred in the 19th and 20th centuries, when travel was exponentially faster. See, during the third plague pandemic, the plague traveled eight miles a year in India and 20 miles a year in South Africa. By contrast, the Black Death of the second pandemic traveled 50 miles between Pisa and Florence in just two months. And by the time it reached Paris and France, it was traveling two miles a day. Damn. As per John Kelly's description, the Black Death moved like a piranha, spreading so quickly that some medieval doctors speculated that the disease was spread by nothing more than a passing glance. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah, man. Side eye. Mm -hmm. Side eye did it? And while Yersinia pestis now kills people up to six days after the first symptoms show, the Black Death of the 1300s sometimes killed people within three days of exposure, sometimes faster, with symptoms far worse than what we see with the modern plague. Back then, it was gangrene, uncontrollable vomiting, and a bloody infectious cough, in addition to everything else and those were the good old days yeah <laughs> do, do you think it also had something to do with the famine and how everybody had been weakened and yeah. what they now know which we've been saying for years which is really funny we got vindicated that the the statement what doesn't kill you makes you stronger actually shows for the immune system that is not true no. not true <laughs> not true there are many factors that we're about to go into but furthermore while the death tolls during the black death were as high as 60 percent in the population in some cities the third plague pandemic never claimed more more than 3% of any of the populations it struck. You know, it's the struggle of being an immigrant's child. What's that? It's the kind of lofty things that mm. the child, the third pandemic, oh, was like yes. held up to because like, you know, the second wave they pandemic. They don't know what the second wave was. The second wave of plague was just being like, I, you know, we killed 60% in our day. We yeah, killed 60% right. yeah, of people. Of course. Meanwhile, the third plague pandemic is like, you know, playing video games on the couch till they're 29. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's World War II, the greatest generation that spawned the boomers. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Now, as far as why the second plague was so much worse than the third, it doesn't just come down to the fact that medicine was so much better in the Victorian age than it was in medieval times. Because it well, can't be that much better. It was still better. I mean, they still weren't fucking doing surgeries based on the position of the stars mm. by the Victorian ages. But you know, there was one doctor who's just like, I'm just going to try coming on it. And uh, like that was still, like that, it's still pretty primitive. I'm pretty certain I had a dentist in Los Angeles that used astrology to talk about my mouth. Oh, oh that's great. Gosh. That's what I want to hear. It's a new moon. Do I have a cavity or not? <laughs> but remember, the Black Death was a bacteria, not a virus. And as opposed to viral infections that leave behind a core of immune survivors, Yersinia pestis does not produce 
any immunity in its victims. You get it once, you can get it again. That meant that the plague introduced a second mortality because even the people who didn't catch the deadlier plague strains still died because the people who would have cared for them were already dead or they didn't want to risk getting it again. They find themselves in a conundrum. It really, absolutely. And because the people who got it the worst were the helpers, right? The people that would help you, they got it the worst, so they died. And there were certain monasteries at the time because while largely, and this is true, the church abandoned its people Mm -hmm, quite a bit, but there were certain sects and like, uh, I want to say the Dominicans and Mm -hmm. the people underneath the Francis of Assisi, Mm -hmm. they were the ones that would go out, these these monks that would show up and basically take care of you while you died and then they themselves died. And the problem that the reason why they didn't last very long, all of those orders, because they all died. Yeah. Right. But entire entire monasteries would be just wiped out. But they were trying to do something good. They were. Trying. And I do wonder at 7 p.m. if people clanged pots and pans around for them (laughs) just so they could feel the, so hear the sound of working in the kitchen. No, all they heard was, <laughs> Okay. Well, furthermore, the streets were dirtier and even more rat-infested because the street sweepers were all dead. And the malnourished became even more so because the farmers who would have grown the food and the stevedores who would have brought it to the city were also dead. Okay, I was going to guess that. Yep. <laughs> but perhaps the simplest explanation of why the second plague pandemic was so much deadlier than the third was because while there were different strains going around, the main strain was probably a particularly virulent strain of the marmot plague. And don't worry. Whoa. Yeah, man. Marmot plague. We marmot were talking about plague. remember the debargan marmot that yeah. we yelled at last <laughs> the week? The marmot. Oh, yeah. they were around, man. And these these fucking marmots, mm. them, the gerbils, the hamsters, each one of these fucking little, they're little beady eyes, and we're supposed to feed them nuts all day? <laughs> no, and they're stealing our pizza and... Russian scientists who have studied the marmot plague in contrast to the rat or gerbil plagues say that the marmot plague is more virulent because the tabargan marmot has lived with the plague for a longer period of time. You can't mess with a tabargan marmot. They will never die. No, and don't worry. The various governments around the world have been trying to figure out how to properly weaponize the plague for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And one of those, I remember this one statement from there was Major General Nikolai Urukov, who was the he, during the fucking this is like the seventies in the USSR, where he basically said um, he would shout to his staff, "I only want one strain of our plague weapon." The Marmot Plague. Whoa! Oh <laughs> my God. They've been they looking weaponize... into this for a long time. Yeah. You weaponized the Tabargan Marmot, much like the Penguin did to Penguins in Batman Ooh. 2, Batman Returns, I believe. That would be really fun because then you are going to die, but you can also be like, hi, Marmot. You <laughs> fucking put them in little wigs, yeah! cocktail dresses, Oops. and you send them at our soldiers. And when they're a horniness of the oh, dizziness yeah. of war, they start having sex with these Marmots. They bite off of our soldiers' penis. And then what they do is decrease the breeding amongst our strongest. Yeah, to bargain marmots running around with a bunch of dicks in their mouths. That is a long road to walk. Yep. (laughs) I got there, though. You did it. You did it. But since the marmot lived with the plague longer, the marmot evolved a resistance. The plague, in turn, evolved to become more virulent. So it could kill the marmot. This whole thing is about marmots? Again, it's another one of these little rats. And by the time the marmot plague jumped to humans, it had become the deadliest plague strain ever ever encountered by man before or since. And so when the plague hit Siena in the Tuscany region of Italy in 1348, bodies were stacked in plague pits and a thin layer of dirt was thrown on top. More bodies were stacked on top of that with another layer of dirt. And so on and so forth, like so much 
lasagna. <laughs> Which, by the way, is a comparison made by the Italians at the time and not a cheap shot made by me against the Italians. <laughs> they called them oh, lasagna-style hey, pit plagues. Oh, that's gr- I'm so I'm so happy they did that. I want to see the plague-themed diners, drive-ins, and dives that Guy Fieri would do about this, like, this idea of just being like, you could I put this on a flip-flop. This wow. is a plague lasagna. That is yeah. out of So that bounds. does answer your question. They did have lasagna back then. Great. But, yeah, because they did compare it. Okay. But the problem with the lasagna method is that the top layer of dirt was still a thin layer of dirt. Right. Like, like a good lasagna. You yeah. don't want to go too heavy on top. Yeah. So wild dogs dragged the bodies out of the ground and littered the city of Siena with the limbs of plague victims <laughs> ripped off their dead bodies by animals who also carried the plague. Oh, that's just Blorky. He wants to play catch. Just throw the leg there. <laughs> yeah. Blorky, come back, boy. <laughs> Concerning mortality, Siena was by far the hardest hit in all of Italy. 60% of the population, including 52,000 in the city and 28,000 in the countryside, died of the Black Death. But estimates at the time put the mortality rate as high as 84%. Oh my God. But once the Black Death burned its way through Italy, it moved on to France, which is where we'll pick back up next week. For the Black Death Part 3. Yes. Oh my goodness gracious. Next week we're going to see some naughty popes. Very naughty popes. Very sexy, fun popes. Okay. We're going to see um, a little bit more of the even more modern sort of view of the plague, how mm-hmm. they will experience the plague. We're going to France, then we're going to England. Oh. In England, people, guess what? Also got all fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> I travel around the world and I I, I yeah. got the Black Death. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll also next week we'll talk about more of the social repercussions of the plague. We'll yep. talk a little bit about the anti-Semitism that came about and Ooh, what people yes. were looking for, like because everyone was looking for who did this stuff. Scapegoat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And also some of them were looking to uh, wipe out their loans. But we'll get into that next week. We will get into that next week. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, Hope you're doing well out there. We're super excited. We're in Denver right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we will be, uh, well, by the time this is out, we will have already performed at Red Rock. So I just want to congratulate us for the standing ovation we got in the middle of the show with that great joke you told. I heard Mr. Big is coming. Mr. Big. We're we're getting a, uh, we'll be having a record deal at this point. Uh, Live via satellite feed? (laughs) (laughs) I think so. Um, So uh, honestly, we uh, want to thank everyone who did come up to our show at Red rocks mm-hmm. and uh, yeah we're super excited to be in beautiful denver um the meet and greet for whedon is not at the end of june it is at the end of july ah. same date july 24th Fantastic. we don't know what those hours are but we were gonna let you know really soon that is three days after i will officially be 40 years Ooh. old yeah. so please treat me with the respect of a fucking elderly adult <laughs> <laughs> we got that shit um I'm trying to think. Any other announcements? We're ready to go. We don't know when. I believe next week we'll be releasing our uh, list of touring dates, yeah. which I'm really excited for. For Can't 2021 wait. and 2022. You Can't wait to uh, get back out there and see y'all. And yeah, just keep on supporting all the shows here on the Last mm-hmm. Podcast Network. We appreciate you for being with us. And uh, we'll just, yeah, I think that's about it. Yeah. The full Beastie Boy series on uh, No Dogs in Space is available now. And we have already, even though it won't come out for another couple of months, we have begun work on season two. Sweet. <laughs> all right, everyone. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Hail Gein. Magustalations. Hail me. Oh, man, I'm fucking, I'm sick. You gonna take care of me, brothers? Fuck uh, you. Yeah, dude, I'm actually just gonna leave you with this salami and this wine, and then you go to bed. Yeah, I Marcus should Marcus and I are actually just sleep. gonna be right next door, and okay, bye. Wait, wait a second. Clunk, clunk. Oh, fuck. This show is made possible by listeners like you. 
Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all handpicked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific time, only on Netflix.